We're so glad you're here tonight. We have a good crowd here, and I told Grady that all of you are here, and this big crowd is here because he is here to speak to us. Let's not mention to him that there's ice cream afterwards, okay? I don't think, I don't think he knows. So we'll just, we'll just make him assume that everyone's here to hear him. No, I know that is why you're here tonight, and you will be blessed by being here. My friend Grady King is going to be speaking tonight, and then again next Sunday night in a two-part mini-series we're calling Engaging Faith in a Post-Truth Culture. Many of you know Grady. If you don't, you need to meet him to get to know him. He has preached for 36-some years in Oklahoma and Texas, plus six years in youth ministry. And of course, any of us who have been in youth ministry know that's really more like 26 years in youth ministry. It's like dog years. It equates to about the same, one per seven. Currently, Grady is working with the Hope Network out of Dallas, but they do work all across the country in consulting churches and leadership and helping with transitional uh, phases. And he is co-leader and vice president of that organization. And his day job, I don't know if that's his day job or this is his night job, but he also uh, is the director of church resources out at Oklahoma Christian University. He's come on about a year ago or so and, and uh, really breathed new life into, uh, into what the school and the institution offers for area churches and trying to network and, and work together with churches and ministries and, and elderships to enhance and grow the church and we appreciate the work that Grady does and that Hope Network does. He and his wife Karen have been married for 37 years. They have two children. Josh and Kristen, and I think he has more to say about his family. I'll let him do that. And many of you, as I said, know or know of Grady. He has ties to this congregation. His mom was here for several years as a member. Some of you who have gone to Sooner Youth Camp know that Grady has been an important part of Sooner Youth Camp, and uh, there are other connections as well. But I know you'll be blessed by hearing him. And again, as I said, if you haven't met Grady, be sure and do that. He is quite the conversationalist. I always enjoy sitting down with Grady. Grady, why don't you come up here and let me pray for you, and then we'll turn it over to you. Let's join him together in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this occasion that brings us together. Father, as we think about our world, as we continue to think about your church, the called out people that belong to Christ. We pray that you would give us insight, that you would use Grady tonight in his message, the things that he has worked with and, and uh, thought about and researched and studied from your word and in the culture, that we would gain understanding. And that understanding we could put to use so that we can engage this world around us with the gospel. Father, I pray that you would speak through Grady tonight. We pray this and offer our thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you, Randy. I appreciate being here at Edmond. I was 14 years old when I first came in contact with the Edmond Church of Christ. The little church in Eufaula, Oklahoma, said, we want you to go to a singing school hosted by Ken Heltebrand, who's at Oklahoma Christian, and you'll be at the Edmond Church of Christ on Boulevard. And there were 15 of us in that first singing school that Ken Helterbrand did. My voice was still changing at that time. I'd go in a grocery store and you followed and I'd say, give me a loaf of bread and a quart of milk. And the guy in the back would say, I'll be up there and wait on both of you in just a moment. So Ken had his work cut out for him 
there at uh, working with me in that singing school at Oklahoma Christian. My mother was a member here for 17, 19 years and loved the Edmond Church. Uh, Randy Roper attended Sooner Youth Camp one year and he couldn't handle it. He wasn't tough enough, so he quit because um, you did have to be tough. But I do appreciate Randy, appreciate the staff so much and uh, the ministry of this church in so many, many ways. I want to invite you to One Voice. Uh, One Voice is our version of, of lectureship that Dr. John DeSiger and myself and others have, uh, he asked us to uh, do an area-wide worship service using local ministers. So Tim Lewis from North MacArthur, as well as a number of ministers. Randy will be a part of that. Phil Brookman, a part of that. Um, Dwayne Case from the North East Church. On Sunday night, um, September 30th, we're walking through Romans in about an hour and 20 minutes with worship and songs and scriptures. Hopefully you'll come that evening because you'll have time to make the five o'clock service here as well as the area-wide worship at Hardeman Auditorium. The next day we're having a ministry equipping day and the ministry equipping day this year is four mini workshops for those that could make it on how Generation Z wants to contribute ministry to the LGBTQ community what does that look like? Um, what does that mean? How senior adults can pass on faith? That's some research that was done by Ron Bruner and Dudley Chancy this summer on senior adults passing on faith and leadership capacities for leading well, and as well as a, a church leaders luncheon. In the springtime, we're going to offer an elder to elder workshop at the end of February, another ministry equipping day. This is our attempt, or my attempt as director of church resources. I'm only up here seven to 10 days a month. I uh, live in Irving, Texas and work with Hope Network. In 2017, I was in 47 congregations from east west coast to west coast to uh, all over the country. Uh, been in 17 churches this year, just listening to leaders, helping leaders, times of transition, working with elders, listening to all the struggles that they're having, trying to come alongside them and be an encouragement. So it's a great job. I love it. I'm, I travel a lot. I don't know that I travel as much as Phil Sanders with search, but I'm pretty close, okay? We can compare notes over ice cream tonight and see who really wins, because you know, it's all about winning. Uh, you, you know that, so anyway. But the thing I'm most proud of is there's been a huge transition in my life, and I'd like to show you, I made this transition this year. I am a grandfather now. Uh, one week ago Saturday, it's my first grandchild named Madeline Ryan King. And she is absolutely incredible. And, and I made, made it to grandfather status. And I'm amazed at just one week old. She's been sending me text messages every day. And it, it's just been incredible, incredible. But I'm here tonight not to talk about Madeline, but engaging faith in a post-truth culture. That was a the theme of our lectureship last year. And Randy said, I want you to come. And initially he said three Sunday nights. I couldn't make that work. And, and so we're down to two. Anybody anxious? Is anybody anxious about what's going on in our culture? Is anybody anxious in your own life? Are you wringing your hands? Are you worried? Do you have, um, where's this country headed? Where's churches headed? What's going on with faith? Someone has said, and I would agree with that from my own life, 
that the measure of your spirituality personally is what's keeping you awake at night. That's where God wants to do his work in you. You may attend church, you may sit in a pew, you may give, you may be involved in ministry, but if you want to really know what's going on in your own spirituality, it's what's keeping you awake at night. What are you anxious about? What's worrying you? That is what, where God really wants to do his work in you, whether you're 14 years old or whether you're 84 years old. That's the work of spirituality and what God wants to deal with you is what's are you worried about? And I, I, like others, travel quite a bit and work with lots of churches and church leaders from the left to the right to the middle. I hear lots of conversations, but here's what I hear most. Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid. Now, why are we afraid? Because it's, you can call it different things, but we're afraid because of anxiety. I want to show you a picture that some of you who have been to Honduras understand, that captures what I think in one image where followers of Christ find themselves today. Followers of Christ find themselves today not in Choloteca, Honduras. In 1999, Hurricane Mitch hit Honduras. The devastation was immense. A few years before that, the Honduran government went to the Japanese engineers and said, we need a bridge across this part of the Choloteca River that will help us with commerce. It will save having to go so many miles down the river during flood stage. It will help people get produce across. It will help our country immensely. We hear that you're the best engineers in the world. Now, they didn't go to Oklahoma State and they didn't go to Texas A&M. They went to the Japanese engineers. Well, they built a bridge that withstood the Hurricane Mitch that hit it. It didn't move that bridge. Yay, let's clap for that. Well, what they didn't anticipate is the hurricane rerouted the river away from the bridge. Now what do you do? It's a poor country, as you know, if you've been to Honduras on mission trips. They went and studied it, because what do you do when you have a crisis? You study more. And they decided, well, we really can't afford to reroute the river back under the bridge. We don't have the resources for that. The Japanese said, well, we'll tear it down. Oh, no, no, it's too good a bridge. Don't tear it down. It's pretty much a tourist attraction now, because it has no functional use. What happens when the culture moves not toward the church, not around the church, not with the church? There was a time in my life when the culture ran to and through and under and close to the church. Not anymore, folks. Not even in Edmond, Oklahoma. And that's hard for you to hear in Edmond, Oklahoma. The Edmund Church of Christ, the Memorial Church of Christ, the New Hope Church of Christ, all the churches of Christ in this area, I mean, that's not the norm across our North American context. Let me just say it the way I would say it. You're spoiled. You're spoiled and you're comfortable. You may not feel it as much, but it's true. 
The cultural waters are not running to the church. Maybe it's something like the book of Judges says in Judges 17 and repeats it in Judges 21. In those days, in those days, there was a no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. That may summarize where we are in a culture today. Do you get that, church? Every long-standing institution is under suspicion in our culture today. There is a questioning of all kinds of authority, no matter where the lines of authority come from or where the seats of power come from. There is a questioning of authority. There is a lack of trust in our culture and certainly a lack of civility in trying to have reasonable discourse with people. Anger is just under the surface in so many parts of our culture. It's hard to have civil discourse. And then there's the Barner research that some of your classes read unchristian this summer and had some pretty lively discussion, I would imagine, because Barner's research came back and said Christians are seen as irrelevant, extreme, judgmental, and hypocritical, and even anti-homosexual. What do we do with all of these things? Do we just get up and preach? Do we just tell the truth in our buildings with people that go, yep, that's right. How in the world do we, literally, how in the world do we engage our faith in a culture that's moved away from so much of what we have held dear and believe? And so you come up with this word, post-truth. Now, post-truth has to do with beliefs attitudes, uh, worldview. Post-truth could be applied politically. It was used first politically to talk about can you believe anything that politicians say today? Post-truth is going to be applied academically, socially, culturally. I'm taking a broad paintbrush for the benefit of us eating ice cream tonight, okay? So with post-truth, you heard the word postmodern. Postmodern had, was a reaction to the enlightenment, to rational thinking and to logic and to objective facts. And then it's kind of morphed into this hurricane with all kinds of waters that's pulling from, from different parts of philosophy and different parts of reality. So we have words like postmodern. We had words like relativism. You have your truth, I have my truth. It's like my medical doctor that I go to. He's a wonderful doctor, a preventive cardiologist. I don't know why I thought I needed one. But he said just this last week when he went over my blood work, and I'm doing better. He's such a subtle person. He says, most doctors would say, it'd be good if you lost some weight. He's real subtle. He says, you're really too fat. <laughs> now, there's a man telling the truth, Okay. And I said, well, Dr. Sabti, he's from India. He's Hindu. He loves Jesus Christ. He likes his teachings, that he's the son of God. He explained to me, it's like we're all going for the same thing and we're all climbing a mountain. And over here, my Hindu people would say, you climb the mountain your way, I'll climb it my way. Don't tell us how to climb the mountain. We're all headed toward the same thing. So I'm sitting in his office after 
with the blood work in my hand. He's finished with me. He's about to write a, renew my prescription since so last Thursday. And I said, talk to me about Jesus, Dr. Sabti. Oh, father. I said, I'm not a father. He said, I mean that as a term of respect. Does that offend you? And I said, well, offend me? No, but it's just not necessary. My name's Grady. I'll call you Doc. He said, Jesus is a re- I love his teachings. The world is better because of Jesus. You see what we're dealing with? But in his mind, we're climbing the same mountain. So what do I do with that? Do I pull out my Bible in his office? So here's what I did. I said, I love Indian food as long as it's not spicy. He said, oh, we'll have to go to dinner. I said, wonderful. Better yet, why don't you come to my house? My wife is a wonderful cook. Let's have dinner. Are you going to try to convert me? I said, well, the thought did come to my mind depending on what mountain we're traveling. And he said, well, let's have dinner. You, I, I enjoy visiting with you. I, I like your ideas and we'll do that. Let's do that. Hmm. Amarillo, Texas this morning. I preached at the Central Church of Christ in Amarillo. Had to get an Uber to get to the airport to get an Enterprise car rental to drive here this afternoon. The man that picked me up at the Uber driver says, uh, at the hotel, said, where are you going? And I said, I'm I'm going to the Central Church of Christ. Do you know where that is? He said, no, I do not. How long have you lived in Amarillo? 25 years. Well, it's, it's not far from the hotel. It's a mile from the hotel. Well, there's lots of churches. There's beautiful old churches in Amarillo. Well, are you a church person? He says, well, I, I was in the Air Force. I, I believe in God. He, he said, you know, I, I just don't find church all that helpful. He's 71 years old. On the way to the airport, he says, I think the worst things happen in this country is letting Muslims in. Why would he just say that? Say that? I said, well, that's a pretty broad stereotype. Well, they have an agenda. I said, well, Christian people do too. Yeah, but... I'm trying to whet your appetite tonight to think about more critically about the world we live in and all this post-truth, this this loss of objectivity, this common consensus of what we hold on to. So I get in my car, I go to the Enterprise Car Rental Place at Amarillo this morning early, the young man that helped me. He said, where are, you, where are you headed? I said, well, I'm headed to Edmond, Oklahoma, but I've got, I'm preaching this morning at the Central Church of Christ. He said, I don't know where that is. Folks, I hear it so much in the churches I travel, the places I go from New York, Delaware, to Jacksonville, Florida, even in Tennessee, even in the Bible Belt. Hey, I'm preaching this church. Do you know anything about this church? The answer is, help me, church. No, I don't really know where that is. If that doesn't convince you even in the Bible Belt, is it because there's so many churches and they just don't know? Is it because we're so turned to ourselves and our own stuff? I don't know. It's a question, not a judgment. So what about post-truth? 
Acts chapter 17, 16 through 21, is the best description of, I believe, where we are in today's world as well. Before we get there, two aspects about post-truth. Now, I'm really painting a big, big paintbrush. I use a big brush here, not a fine brush. Two dominant characteristics of post-truth. Number one is emotion over facts. Emotion over facts. If you look at the yellow, objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personally, personal belief. In other words, I feel, I think, I believe. It's based on emotion. So if you're engaging people with, hey, I'd like to study the Bible with you. Well, the Bible's a good book, and I know, I know it, yeah, but I'm, I mean, I, you, you have your belief, I have mine. That's relativism again, but it's all swimming. It's all coming from the same waters. And so emotions over facts. I feel, I feel, I feel. I just know in my spirit, I just know in my, this, this is the world of post-truth. And yet we are people who believe that God acted decisively in the world, in the person of Jesus Christ, fulfillment of prophecy, all the teaching of Scripture. Scripture has authority. Scripture is where we end up. Scripture is where we begin. Scripture is what we, what's in the middle. Our life is shaped by and formed by this authoritative voice of God revealed in Scripture that, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us helps us understand that Scripture, live that Scripture. That's where we are. So this is a big shift. Do you see that? This is a huge shift in our world. Well, Edmond, Oklahoma is not like that. When, this is my third year to start part-time at OC. I live in Irving, Texas. So I'm only up here seven to 10 days a month. So I go to, I, I have to eat out a lot by myself because I can never find Randy to buy me a lunch. And, and, and so the Fergusons, they were good friends, but they're always too busy with sports. So, you know, and Kevin Rayner, he, he doesn't have time. I mean, you know, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I've tried to teach him about hospitality and it just doesn't, hasn't worked so far. But, but the reality is I eat by myself a lot. So I go to Jason's Deli. I go to Starbucks for coffee in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I hear conversations that I'm describing tonight. This is why next Sunday night, I wanna get really practical with you about what you personally can do in light of this world. The second, second thing about post-truth is this. Post-truth is a loss of a meta-narrative. Now, that's a big literature word. Here's the bottom line. No overarching story that holds anything together. That's not what we believe as Christians. That's not what we're committed to. We believe God has decisively acted for his sake, that he has purpose and there's meaning and there's mission and that we go to scripture for that and we're going to be God's people. But there's a loss of a meta-narrative, so there's competing stories every where in our world. These are the two dominant, dominant things about post-truth that I want you to get. So how do we make sense of this biblically? Well, it's not a new problem. It's not a new challenge. The book of Acts 
the Holy Spirit was pushing God's people all the way through Acts. Not so much was, not so much with this is what it's got to be. Every every chapter, every place. Paul and Peter were radically different in how they shared the truth of God, the gospel of truth, as Paul calls it in Colossians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. Because of the gospel of truth, the gospel of our salvation, calls it truth. Look at Acts chapter 2. This is the world I grew up in in Oklahoma. Born in Alva, Oklahoma, raised in Woodward, Oklahoma, went to high school in Ufala, Oklahoma, as a youth minister in McAllister, Oklahoma, preached in Muskogee, Oklahoma, went to school at Oklahoma Christian, called junior high basketball games all through this state until I realized getting yelled at for $10 a game wasn't worth it, so I gave up. But the reality is this. Acts chapter 2 is the world I was raised in. But a post-truth world is Acts chapter 17, and we better make some adjustments in how we understand that and how we approach people. Now, what's the story of Acts chapter 2? Give me three minutes, and we'll get you out for ice cream. Then next Sunday night, I'll make sense of all this, even more. Acts chapter 2 is preaching to people who already knew the law, who already knew about the prophecies of Christ, who understood God as creator, who expected a Messiah, who understood the Ten Commandments, who who had knowledge of the prophets. They knew about ethics. They knew about the holiness codes of Leviticus. They had a foundation, a foundation, if that makes sense. When Peter preaches to them, he quotes from Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. Young men will prophesy, that passage from Joel. He quotes from the Psalms. They knew those passages. They had an understanding of the things he was talking about. Men and brethren, what shall we do? When they were pricked to their hearts, they began to make the, wrath, make the connections with the Old Testament. The men, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Savior. They got it. 3,000 people were baptized. This is what you need to do. You need to be repent and be baptized that every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to shape and push people and they end up out of Jerusalem because of persecution and it began to go to the Gentile world. And guess who are the ones that really resisted it going to the Gentile world? Oh, it sounded great at first. They even had a big conference about it in Acts chapter 15. But guess who are the ones that tried to kill Paul were the very people that said, we'll welcome the Gentiles. But they really didn't mean that because they couldn't stretch past their own understanding and their own cultural views of things. It's like being raised in this part of Oklahoma. The minute I went across the state line from Texas today to Oklahoma, the soil changed. Did you know that? Literally, the soil changed. It went from brown dirt, the minute I crossed into Oklahoma, tell me what, what, what color dirt was it? Red, how'd you know that? That's because you don't have white socks in Oklahoma ever once you play in the red dirt. They're always pink and you can't ever get them white again. You have to go to Walmart and buy a new pair, right? I mean, because you can, it's so much a part of us. This, this, this is so much a part of us. We have trouble seeing because most of us hang out with the same people in the same way, in the same places all the time. The Acts 2 people. 
in Edmond, Oklahoma. And there's plenty of others that are in the Acts 17 world, not just at University of Central Oklahoma college students, but even at Oklahoma Christian. And it's an incredible opportunity. We have Acts 17 people. What's Acts 17? Not one passage of scripture is quoted in the sermon of Acts 17, but the truth of God is proclaimed. If you read Acts 17, and this is your homework this week, read the sermon from Acts 2, 14 through 36 with the response in 37, 38, and then contrast that, take a line down a middle piece of paper, put Acts 2 on one side, look at all the assumptions of Acts 2, and then watch that Peter did and how he preached powerfully and people came to Christ. Then go over here and look at Acts 17. Paul noticed that there are objects of worship even unto an unknown God. This is the post-truth world. Paul engaged the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. Paul found common ground with them in Acts 17. Not one passage of scripture is quoted and it is a sermon in Athens. Now it's not to say that truth should not be proclaimed. Paul proclaims truth by reasoning with them, quoting their own poets, their own philosophers. He reasons with them about this God that created everything, God the creator, this God that's in him you live and move and have your being. As a matter of fact, your own poets said that, said that to the Athenians. What I'm wanting you to see is think about how we're approaching people in a post-truth world. So here's your assignment, Acts 2, Acts 17, think about it. Here's the second assignment. How intentional are your prayers? Who are your friends? And will you engage the gospel as a holistic way of life, not just a way to be baptized to get to heaven? Because if we don't move away from, I'm saying it intentionally, just an understanding to get to heaven and making it a part of a holistic understanding of what it means to be part of the story of God that keeps us fueled, energized, thinking about who do we connect with? How do we connect with them? How do we have conversations with the gifts and the abilities God's given you? So here's the so what tonight. If I've given you enough to think about, the so what is... If your anxiety about the post-truth culture that we live in is greater than your trust in God of the gospel of truth that Paul talks about and it's described in the New Testament, then the gospel has not taken root in your soul. The gospel has not taken hold of your soul. If all you're doing is worried sick about the future and just holding on in fear, the gospel has not taken hold of your soul. The gospel has not taken hold of your soul. And I'm preaching to myself because my wife says you preach a lot better than you live. Because you worry. And you get up in the middle of the night and you eat cereal at two in the morning. And I ask you, what did you do that for? I said, I, I couldn't sleep. I had my, my, my mind was just racing. I was thinking about the church I was working with and these elders I was over here and I was thinking about this. And she said, shh, practice what you preach. Don't you believe in the God that will take care of things? 
Yeah, but don't give me yeah, but. Put the cereal down, come back to bed, go to sleep. How often does that happen? Less now than it did 20 years ago. But I started making my own cereal, and it's a lot healthier. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If you need tonight to be baptized into Christ, you're being baptized into the very life of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid, folks. We don't have to circle the wagons. We don't have to live in fear. We are God's people with his spirit and the good news of Jesus Christ still is the power of God for salvation. Amen to that. Let's stand and sing.